So let's say you've got a friend who's Chinese, and one day you invite them out for lunch. You're eating happily with your friend, and then the waiter brings out a dish that you think is perfectly fine to eat, but you forgot to tell your friend that it's got pork in it. And as soon as your friend bites into the dish, he's like, "Oh no, this has got pork in it!" and starts spitting it out. And you're really confused because you're like, "Well." It's just pork. What's wrong with it? And your friend goes, "No, no, no, no. I, I cannot eat pork. That that is forbidden." And now you're even more confused. Wait, what? Why can't you eat pork? I mean, you're Chinese, right? Surely, I thought Chinese people loved eating pork. That's you and your uncultured mind talking. And how does your friend respond? Your friend's kind of like, "Oh, jeez, I have to explain this again." And he explains to you that. He is a Chinese Muslim. Wait, what? A Chinese Muslim? You're not. You don't look like a Uyghur to me. Now he looks even more annoyed. No, I am not a Uyghur. I am a Hui Chinese Muslim. Wait, sorry. Or what? I'm a Hui Chinese Muslim. You're now even more confused, and this is why you're all listening to this episode because we're going to talk about this today. G'day, everyone. I'm your host Stephen, and welcome to the Bamboo History Podcast. For those of you who are new, the Bamboo History Podcast is a podcast about Chinese and East Asian history. Please subscribe to my podcast if you're interested in this type of content, and don't forget to follow my Instagram as well at Bamboo History Podcast. Today, we're going to talk about the history of one of China's ethnic minorities, the Hui Chinese. Hui, spelt H-U-I. Some of you may already know this, but some of you may not. But the Hui Chinese are the third largest ethnic group in China, with over 10 million people. That's half of Australia's population. Most Hui Chinese people live in northwestern China, especially in Ningxia, N-I-N-G-X-I-A, which is the autonomous region for Hui Chinese. And where twenty percent of China's Hui Chinese live. There's also a subgroup of Hui Chinese as well. They're called the Dungan, D-U-N-G-A-N, and they live in the Central Asian countries of Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan. The most distinct feature of the Hui Chinese is that they are Muslims. And uniquely, another feature about the Hui is that unlike the other ethnic minorities in China. Their difference primarily lies in the religion and not the ethnicity, language, and physical appearance. In fact, Hui Chinese speak Mandarin just like the majority Han Chinese, and pretty much look the same as Han Chinese. Which is why, if you ever meet a Hui Chinese, unless they explain that they're Hui Chinese to you, you probably don't even know that they're a Muslim. You would most likely assume that they are just a regular Han Chinese. Just like most of the Chinese people that you see out on the street, but besides their religion, are they otherwise exactly the same as the Han Chinese? Definitely not. And this is my cue to jump straight in to the history of the Hui Chinese ethnic minority. <laughs> Simply put, the Hui Chinese population are a result from centuries of migration and integration. With the majority Han Chinese population, 
and their experiences over the years have been determined by attitudes of them by the Han Chinese, the majority ethnic group in China. To understand the history of the Hui Chinese, we will have to rewind all the way back to the 7th century, right around the time two dominant forces emerged in Asia and the Middle East. The first major dominant force was one of the most powerful religions in the world, and still is today, the religion of Islam. And the second dominant force that emerged was one of the most powerful empires at the time, the Tang Dynasty in China, Tang spelt T-A-N-G. The Tang Dynasty was powerful not only because they were really strong military-wise, but because they were open-minded and welcoming of foreigners. Because of this, the Tang Dynasty in its heyday was really multicultural. And around the same time the Tang Dynasty grew in power, so did Islam as a religion. Islam had spread rapidly through the Middle East, primarily through the military expansion of the Rashidun and Umayyad Caliphates in the 7th and 8th centuries. Through their Rashidun leader, Caliph Uthman, the first ever recorded Arab diplomatic mission was sent to the Tang Dynasty in the year 651 CE and was welcomed by the Chinese emperor and the court. The welcoming nature of the Tang Dynasty, coupled with the spread of Islam, meant Islam spread into China during the 7th century from the arrival of Arab diplomats, scholars, merchants, scientists and artists into China, where they settled and lived. For example, merchants settled in large cities such as Chang'an and Guangzhou. And an example is the Huaisheng Mosque, Huaisheng, spelt H-U-A-I-S-H-E-N-G. This is a mosque in Guangzhou and was built in the 7th century, making it one of the oldest mosques in China and in the world. It's still around if you want to see it as well. In the 8th century, the Tang Empire was hit with the Anlushan Rebellion, a rebellion led by a Turkic general called Anlushan, which threatened all of China. The Abbasid Caliphate sent 20,000 soldiers to China to help quash the rebellion, and after the rebellion ended, these soldiers were allowed to settle in China as Chinese citizens. These soldiers primarily settled in northwest China and were given Chinese wives. The children that grew up in these mixed-race households were the earliest ancestors of the Hui Chinese. The earliest Chinese Muslims emerged during the Tang, but their presence was still very small. By the 10th century, by the end of the Tang dynasty, there was an estimate of no more than 500,000 Chinese Muslims. We will now fast forward a few hundred years into the Yuan Dynasty. During the Yuan Dynasty, the population of Chinese Muslims increased greatly and spread all across China. So now they weren't just living in the northwest of China, they were living everywhere across China. For those of you who don't know as well, the Yuan Dynasty was a period of time where China was ruled by the Mongols. I believe one of the reasons why the Muslim population in China flourished during this period of time was because the empire linked up China with the Middle East, making it easier for people within the empire to travel. The Mongols in China also encouraged immigration, and as a result, many of the Muslims from the Middle East moved to China and settled there. There's also another reason as well. 
they were also given high status in the Yuan Dynasty. You see, during the Yuan Dynasty, the country organised the population into a caste system, where your ethnicity determined what your status was. The Mongols would obviously be at the top because they ruled the country, and right below the Mongols were the Muslims from the Middle East that had settled in China, so they were number two, which meant they held higher status than the native Han Chinese population, and they were trusted as advisors and given top-ranked government positions in the Yuan Dynasty court. So because they were given high status, and also given top positions by the Mongol-ruled government, that was also an incentive for a lot of Muslims to immigrate to China. It was also during the Yuan Dynasty that the term Hui for Hui Chinese first emerged. Chinese Muslims during the Yuan Dynasty were known as Hui Hui people, H-U-I, H-U-I. The word Hui possibly originates from the word Hui He or Hui Hu, which was the Chinese name for a Uyghur empire that existed in northwest China in the 9th century. But let's make it clear now that the Chinese Muslims and the Uyghurs are not the same group of people. Hui Hui's during the Yuan dynasty didn't just refer to the Muslims in China, however, but they also referred to any other foreigner who, who lived in China, and that included Christians and even Jews. It was from the term Hui Hui that these group of Chinese Muslims eventually became known as just the Hui. With this massive immigration of Muslims into China, by the 14th century, by the end of the Yuan Dynasty, there were 4 million Chinese Muslims in China. After the Yuan Dynasty came the Ming Dynasty, which was now ruled by the native Han Chinese population. The Ming Dynasty, under its first emperor, the Hongwu Emperor, H-O-N-G-W-U, began to assimilate the Hui Muslims into the majority Han Chinese population. The reason why I did this was because that, because the Muslims had enjoyed a higher status than the Han Chinese during the Yuan Dynasty, the emperor was afraid that this sort of segregation would cause tension between the majority Han Chinese and the Hui Chinese minority. So he thought the best idea to decrease these tensions was to assimilate the Hui Chinese into the Han Chinese population so that they will be more similar to one another. So to do this, he forced the Hui Chinese to speak Chinese, wear Chinese clothes, and marry Han Chinese people to make them look more physically similar to the Han Chinese, so that when they had children, they would look more similar to Han Chinese, and then those children would marry other Han Chinese, so they would look more physically similar to Han Chinese generation after generation. And that also explains why Hui Chinese today look pretty much identical to Han Chinese. You just can't tell them apart by their physical appearance. It is from the Ming Dynasty that the Hui Chinese developed the ethnic identity that they have today. Whilst the Hui Chinese assimilated into the Han Chinese population, they were also highly valued by the government, and many people were appointed to high military and civil posts. To give you an example, two of the most famous Hui Chinese people during the Ming period were Zheng He, Z-H-E-N-G, H-E, who was China's most famous maritime explorer, and Hai Ri, H-A-I-R-U-I. He was a government minister famous for his uncorruptible spirit and honesty in the face of a corrupt government during his time. 
So during the Ming Dynasty, the Hui, even though they had been assimilated, lived generally very peacefully amongst the Han Chinese, and their population expanded from 4 million at the beginning of the Ming period to 20 million by the end of the Ming period, almost 300 years later. (sighs) But as the saying goes, nothing lasts forever. The Hui enjoyed relative peace and stability for centuries, but during the Qing dynasty in the 19th century, things took a turn. Whilst the Hui Chinese had enjoyed relative peace, it wasn't perfect as well. Yes, they lived side by side by the Han Chinese, but as with most cases when you've got different ethnic groups living together, there's always going to be some form of tension. It was always going to be hard for the Han Chinese to accept a group of people that whilst spoke the same language and wore the same clothes as them, believed in another religion, had traces of Middle Eastern blood in them, and didn't eat pork or consume alcohol, pork and alcohol being two of the things that Chinese people love the most. During the Qing dynasty, the ruling Manchus, in a bid to win the support of the majority Han Chinese population, would often side with the Han Chinese whenever there were conflicts between the Han and the Hui Chinese. Because of this, the Hui Chinese would have felt very angry towards the government, because they're always they're never taking our side, they're always taking their side. And feelings of hatred began to grow towards the Qing government. This led to two major conflicts. The first was the Panthei Rebellion, Panthei spelt P-A-N-T-H-A-Y, or known in Chinese as the Du Wen Xiu Qi Yi. Du Wen Xiu spelt D-U-W-E-N-X-I-U. This rebellion erupted in the year 1856 after Qing officials ordered a massacre of Hui Muslims in the city of Kunming in southwestern China, where 4,000 to 7,000 Muslims were slaughtered. This sparked the rebellion by Hui Muslims, led by a Han Chinese general named Du Wenxiu. That's why it's named after him, the rebellion. He was actually a recent convert to Islam. After he started the rebellion, Du Wenxiu then established an Islamic state in the southwest part of China in the province of Yunnan, Y-U-N-N-A-N, and he named this Islamic state Pingnanguo, P-I-N-G-N-A-N-G-U-O, and declared himself as a sultanate. I will go through this rebellion in detail in another episode, but basically, the Pingnanguo and the Qing government engaged in a bloody civil war which ended in the year 1872, when the Qing government brought the Islamic State to the ground. What resulted was the killing of tens of thousands of Hui Muslims who had resided in this rebel nation. The second major rebellion by the Hui Muslims was in the northwest of China, and it was known as the Dungan Revolt. Dungan spelt D-U-N-G-A-N. Like the Panthe Rebellion, The Dungan Revolt started on the basis of smaller conflicts between the Han Chinese and the Hui Chinese in northwestern China. At this period of time though, the Qing government was spending a load of money to fund military operations to fight off the Taiping Rebellion, which I covered in episodes 8 and 9, and also the Panthe Rebellion. So they were using a lot of money to quash rebellions left, right and centre, 
And how would they fund these operations? They increased the taxes on the people in northwestern China. The increase in taxes caused a lot of hardships of the people there in general, and this fueled greater discontent from the Han and the Hui Chinese. Tensions rose, and the catalyst for the conflict occurred when an argument broke out between a Hui man and a Han Chinese man over the sale of a piece of bamboo. You know, like Bamboo History Podcast Bamboo. Woo! And a fight ensued between the two groups of people over this piece of bamboo. The government stepped in, but sided again with the Han Chinese. And this totally pushed it over the edge. The Hui Chinese were so angry that they took their anger out and murdered that Han Chinese man and his entire family. By murdering this man's family, that was the last straw. This completely escalated the conflict. And both the Han Chinese and the Hui began massacring each other and this started the Dungan Revolt. This ensued one of the bloodiest civil wars in Chinese history, and between the years 1862 to the year 1877, around 20 million people died in one of the bloodiest civil wars ever. And within this conflict, 2 million Hui Chinese were killed, and that wiped over 50% of the Hui Chinese population. So this was a massive, bloody conflict that really damaged the livelihoods of the Hui Chinese. And remember the Dungan people that I had mentioned much earlier in the episode? The ones that are living in Kazakhstan and Kyrgyzstan? Well, the ancestors of the Dungan people were actually the Hui Chinese who had escaped from this conflict. And that brings the Hui Chinese into the 20th century and to the present day. There are so many more stories about the Hui, but I won't cover them in this overview episode today. Today, the Hui Chinese are recognised by the People's Republic of China as one of its official 56 ethnic groups, and it is the largest ethnic group that adheres to Islam, the second largest being the Turkic Uyghurs that mainly live in the Xinjiang Autonomous Region in northwest China. If you are lucky enough to meet and talk to a Hui Chinese person, they most likely will throw in some unique Chinese phrases that are used to describe certain aspects of their Islamic faith, such as Qingzhen, which means halal, Jie, which is the festival of Eid al-Fitr, apologies if I didn't pronounce that correctly, Jiayue, which means Ramadan, and Ahong, which means an imam. So yeah, super interesting and very unique. Before I end this episode, however, I wanted to raise a question on the Hui Chinese identity. One of the biggest questions when studying about the Hui Chinese is, on what basis do we determine who is a Hui person? In the present day, many people determine that a Hui person is a Chinese person who is Muslim, and it's easy to make that conclusion because modern-day Hui Chinese physically look exactly the same as a Han Chinese person. I mean, if I get a Han Chinese and a Hui Chinese together, try and tell them apart. I bet you can't. Therefore, one can only differentiate them by their religion these days. From the perspective of the Hui Chinese, it is easy for them because they know that they are Hui Chinese, because they know about their ancestry. 
But let me ask you this question. Me personally, I am Han Chinese by ethnicity. But if I convert to Islam, does that make me a Hui Chinese? Conversely, if a Hui Chinese person converts to another religion, or decides to renounce Islam, are they still a Hui Chinese person? It's actually a question that I'm not 100% sure either. Because there is no set in stone answer. It really depends. This is because a Han Chinese person can convert to Islam and become a Hui Chinese, which was what happened in ancient times. But in modern times, you can convert to Islam but still retain your Han Chinese ethnic identity. On the other hand, there are Hui Chinese people who have renounced their Islamic faith but still identify themselves as Hui Chinese. Which means it is important that we do not generalize Hui Chinese as simply being Muslim Chinese people. The history shows that their identity is a lot more complicated. For example, at the very beginning, from the Tang Dynasty in the 7th century up until the Ming Dynasty in the 14th century, they were identified as merely Muslims residing in China, and the ethnicities of these Muslims in China were quite varied. One could have been an Arab, one could have been a Persian, or even a local Chinese person that was Muslim, and you'd all be classified as that one group, Muslims in China. From the Ming Dynasty onwards, however, their identity shifted into an ethno-religious one. In other words, one defined by both ethnicity and religion. This was due to the fact that after hundreds of years of intermarriage and assimilation, coupled with the Sinicization policies making the Hui Chinese more Han Chinese. The Hui Muslims developed into a group that looked like the majority Han Chinese, spoke the same language, and yet still practiced Islam and acknowledged their Middle East ancestry. Whew. So hopefully that sheds some more light into the identity of a Hui Chinese person. If there's any listeners out there who are Hui Chinese and who has a different view to what I just said, feel free to reach out to me, and I'd be happy to have a discussion with you. So yeah, that's it. That's the end of the episode of the history of the Hui Chinese. In the Chinese world, the Hui are obviously very well known, but in the Western world, there generally isn't a lot of knowledge and understanding of the Hui Chinese, which makes it important that I talk about them in my podcast. By not understanding Hui Chinese, It means that they are often bunched together with the Uyghurs, you know, the more famous Muslim group in China, that live in Xinjiang. And they're often viewed of as the same, when in fact, the Hui and the Uyghurs are two completely different groups with different views on what is going on in China at the moment. That brings an end to this episode. I hope all of you enjoyed this content. Remember, please subscribe to my podcast and follow me on Instagram if you like this type of content and spread the word about this podcast. If you want to contact me with any topic suggestions, feedback, or just general comments, please DM me on Instagram or email me. I'll put my details in the description box below. Okay, now it's time to go. Talking about the Hui Chinese has actually made me really crave their food, which is amazing. Like the landrol noodles? Oh, so delicious. Anyway, that's that's for another time. Thanks everyone for tuning in. Enjoy the rest of your day or evening, 
and I'll see you all next time on the Bamboo History Podcast. Bye for now.